0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us. So Sarah and I, back in the day, we were living just like everyone else did. We were both attending Manchester College um, and going to school there, obviously. That's what you do at college. Um, well, hopefully, you know, you go to, go to class. Um, and so, but, but one of the things that we had been thinking about and, uh, was, we're gonna pursue was to move in together. We, we figured that, oh, you know, like we had some practical reasons, of course, like we'll save some money. Probably not. But that was what we had told ourselves. And so we had also, in this period of time, gotten used to going to a specific couple as mentors of ours. So we thought we would go and ask them, what they thought. And deep down, as we were on our way to their house that night, we knew what they were going to say. We thought we knew what they were going to say. And we actually, I think deep down, if we go back, we actually both wanted them to say what they ended up saying. And so we get to their house, we have dinner. And um, after dinner, we finally got to the point of us coming over and we asked them the question, Hey, what do you think? Should, would it be okay if, Sarah and I move in together. Here's our reasons, you know, here's our list. What do you guys think? And they looked at us and very kindly but with conviction said we don't believe that's right. We don't think you should do that. Because they they held to a orthodox Christian uh, understanding of of life, and they knew that, uh, you know, for 99.87%, I know I've done the math, you know, 99.87%, generally speaking, uh, cohabitation involves premarital sex. And they held to the conviction that that wasn't uh, biblical, that wasn't uh, Christ-honoring, and so they did not believe that is something that we should do. So if you did not know, if you've not been following along or reading ahead in Matthew, we're going to be talking about sex, lust, and adultery. So if you have a little one in here, you don't want them to hear about that, you've been warned. Okay, so like that is what we're talking about. By the way, you can read ahead in Matthew and you can know exactly where we're going before we get there. Okay, so, um, but here's the thing. Jesus talks about this kind of thing because here's the thing they had conviction about the subject and it wasn't too long after this that them uh leading with kindness but conviction that we started attending church with them that that if you want to reach someone for Jesus if they ask you your opinion on something tell them the truth in love and maybe that's going to be the truth that sets them free that gets them on the path of pursuing after the Lord. So that's, that was our story because we grew up with in a, in a environment where it wasn't really like guardrails around, uh, sex. That was not really a big deal. It wasn't really a thing. You know, we live in a society right now. Um, as I've said before that a a big portion of our society would say that sex is nothing. That's no big deal. It's not really that like it's it's whatever. It's kind of, you don't need to really treat it with much seriousness. It's just a part of life. It's It's something that you can pursue and it's not a big deal. And others would say, sex is everything. It's the highest good to pursue in all of your life. That, that is the, the chief end. That is the, the most uh, pivotal and amazing thing in life that life has to offer. And and we uh, see Jesus addressing this topic. And we're going to talk about this because in, in a society like that, where there's uh, the society that we live in today is always going to be having things to teach people about sex and all of these things the thing is that in the same time at the same time that this is being talked about every which way the church is oftentimes standing idly by not saying anything not not talking about this and and it's because it makes us uncomfortable you know it makes us feel un, uneasy for a half hour on a sunday when we talk about this and we don't know what to do with it and you know we want to act like this doesn't exist but, but Jesus didn't do that Jesus didn't only give nice tidy uh messages about abstract ideas. Jesus got into the nitty-gritty details of life. Jesus knows what drives human beings. And you know, this whole thing called sex, it was it was God's idea. So he knows what it looks like to do it uh in in a way that honors him, but he also knows what happens when you distort it, when you twist it. It's not good for anyone. So I believe there's there's people um in, in our day who are yearning for an alternative to what they've been taught in life about sex. I believe there's a, they're, they're desiring a biblical alternative and we're going to see what Jesus has to say about our sexual desires. Because I also believe that there are people um, who are in churches today and in, in maybe in here, uh, in our county, in all across the world, they've surrendered their life to Jesus, but they're not following Jesus when it comes to their sex life. Um, maybe they're engaging in premarital sex. Maybe they're engaging in pornography or infidelity in a marriage. They're they're uh, going down mental rabbit trails when they see someone they find attractive and they're lusting. As Jesus is going to tell us, lusting in their they're lusting in their heart. They're having adultery in their heart. There are there, we, we need to talk about this, and so we're going to talk about it. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about our sexual desires. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in the book of. Matthew. No one has left yet, so okay, we're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to start in verse 27. Jesus continues his sermon in the book of Matthew. This is what he says. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We'll stop there for now. Jesus says, uh, you heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So so Jesus is speaking in a day and time when uh their, their sexual norms and sexual ethics were such that these Jews they were used to, again, just like last week, reading the letter of the law, but as they read the letter of the law, they missed the whole point of the law. That there is there is a point in which you get to sin. Before you actually engage in a sexual relationship with someone outside of your spouse. If you're, so like, okay, we need to define terms before we move on. So, a couple terms that we need to define. Number one is adultery. What does that mean? What does adultery mean? Adultery is engaging in sexual relations with anyone outside of your spouse. So, this could be premarital sex if you're not married. It could be uh than sex outside of your marriage if you are married. And so adultery is all encompassing of those things. The second term we need to define is lust. What does lust even mean? Lust is a sexual coveting uh, after someone who is not your uh, spouse. It is a sexual coveting. Oftentimes this is not uh lust is not the noticing someone who's attractive. But lust is that gaze that you set on that person, and then if you enter into a mental story of you inside of your heart and in your imagination, literally committing adultery in your heart. That, that is what Jesus is talking about. It's the, it's the path from uh, noticing someone you find attractive and then playing out a story, out a narrative where you are committing adultery with them. Jesus literally says it is committing adultery with someone in your heart. Now the, the Greek word for heart is cardia. Um, and, and the Jews understood this in the first century. They understood the heart to be the central point of your whole life. Not, they're not talking about the physical heart. They were talking about the part of you that holds all of your beliefs and your values and your decision making mechanisms that the, the part of you that is most you. That is, that, he's saying that there is, when you commit lust, you are committing adultery in the essence of your being toward that person. And Jesus is saying that that's a problem. Now, Jesus is not just speaking against our cultural norms of what we, um, as, you know, 21st century, um, you know, enlightened individuals who live in America and, you know, we know things. He, he's pushing up against their cultural norms of their day as well. See, here's the thing: in their day, it was normal and okay for a man to have sexual relationships outside of their marriage. It was okay for for the for the woman. It was not okay for her to do that. So, you know, this is in the in the midst of a Roman world that was wild. The the Roman world had religions that practice temple prostitution as a form of worship. So, so a husband who's married, who committed to the to the covenant of marriage to his wife, could say, "Honey, I'm going to church," and then go to the temple and engage in sexual relationship with a temple prostitute as a form of worship. And and the 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 wife was not uh, seen as an equal. Um, the, the, the husband could commit adultery and it wouldn't matter in their society. And Jesus points to the husband. He's talking to the husbands here. He's saying, hey, I know that you as Jews understand that committing adultery is wrong, but I'm going to take it a step further that in your day, because the Jews started to become a product of the environment that they were raised in, the product of the environment that they were, that they were in, and they started to take, get off track of what God's design was for them sexually, and they started to do the same kind of things that the world did. And so he's saying, hey, you as a husband... Um, even when you just lust after another woman, you are committing adultery in your heart. The same is true for the wife who looks after a man and lusts after him and commits adultery in her heart. And Jesus is saying that like, both of those things are wrong. And, and it's not just that God is like, hey, sin, and it's because I don't want you to do it. But, but because he wants what's best for you. He wants what's best for you. See, the, the, the world tells you all, all kinds of lies when it comes to sex and lust specifically, especially when it comes to lust and pornography. Because people have the ability to access an opportunity for lust on a screen at any point in their lives. Any, any moment they could access this. And the world will tell you, hey, it's harmless. It's not a big deal. Uh, it, everyone does it. Everyone, even the people who say they're not, they're not for it, they, they do it too. Um, everyone, everyone not only does it, but should do it. It's actually healthy. It's just a part of life. Those are the kind of lies that the world is telling. And often the, the thing that people believe the Bible speaks on about when it comes to sexual ethics it's like, oh, it's just this restrictive thing. Um, it's just not like, uh, like God just doesn't want any of us to, to experience pleasure or, or joy in this way. He just, he wants to restrict us. And that's not true. In fact, what I believe is, is the case is by following after God's design for sex is he's actually giving you the opportunity inside of a marriage to experience better sex. Here, here's what he says again. Let me just read this again. Matthew chapter five, verse 27. And he said this, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay. So it's not just that this is sin because like, it is sin, but here's the thing that is about sin that we need to know. Sin is not good for us on multiple levels, multiple layers. Sin is not good for us. That's why God gave the Ten Commandments, for example. It was for our good that he gave those things. The commands that he gives us around sex is for our good. Jesus wants us to experience love, but the thing that he points to is lust. And lust is a distorted substitute for love and intimacy. Lust is a distorted substitute for love and intimacy. Lust lust makes you objectify the opposite sex for your own pleasure. It does not allow you to engage in a loving relationship with that person. You, you look at them as an object for your pleasure. Here's, here's where this comes from. The roots of our sexual distortions are these. The first thing is dehumanization of sex. That that because we are um, used to young people and old people, uh, used to because of movies and pornography, um, are used to having these dehumanized versions of sex in front of us. So it's not so much that that's another person who's made in the image of God, but it's that that person is an object for my pleasure and that doesn't just stay on the screen that stays that that pervades your real life relationships as well because if you are used to looking at the opposite sex as simply as a merely a tool for your uh, satisfaction and your pleasure then that will alter the way that you interact with them that will alter the, the your capacity for actual love even christian brotherly sisterly love because you will not, you'll have this, this, uh, th- this barrier for you to be able to actually see them as someone who's actually a person. So the dehumanization of sex, the commoditization of sex. That has made sex as a commodity. Not just, um, for people outside of a marriage, but even inside of a marriage. Where, where a marriage is, is, is designed in this way where your relationship is a, it's not a knowing sexually, but it's an owing sexually. Like, you owe me that. You owe me this. Or where, where one of, the, one of the, the spouses just looks at it like, I'm doing this for you. It's not for me. It's not for us. It's this commoditization. It's this, I'm just going to participate so you can get your fix and be done. And, and that is not a healthy way of viewing sex. The, the next one is lack of healthy boundaries. We've seen this. There's this, it's wrong. It's, 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 it's it's hardly even a thing anymore to interact with a couple, Christian or otherwise, who has abstained from sex before marriage, in the church and out of the church. And I know this to be true in the interactions I've had. So anecdotally, I can see this and I'm sure you would recognize it too. Lack of healthy boundaries, allowing our desires to rule the show. I want to, so I get to. I'm going to pursue it. Um, last time I checked, just pursuing your desires without any kind of guardrails is a great way to pursue destruction. Because your heart is not a good leader for you. So the question for all of us, right, because you're here at church, so I assume that most of you are pursuing Jesus, and um, even if you're not pursuing Jesus, you're at least interested in Jesus. Um, So the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, are you following Jesus sexually? Because Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me, um, you know, just in every other area of your life except for sex. You can do just whatever you want in that. He wants what's best for you. Here, here's the thing: don't, don't forget this. Pornography is an impostor that promises satisfaction, but always delivers shame. I'll say that again. Pornography is an impostor that promises satisfaction, but always delivers shame. I'll, I'll say this too. Never forget this: A life of lust limits your capacity to truly love. A life of lust limits your capacity to truly love because again lust is a is an objectification of the person you are lusting after and when you when you objectify people it limits your capacity to truly love people because to really love someone you have to see them as a person if you limit their humanness you limit your ability to love them and and Jesus wants what's best for us. And that's why he says this next thing. He says this in verse 29. He says, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, we don't like hearing things like that. Um, That violates our our normalcy of of rhetoric. But Jesus is very serious about sin. And and yes, he's speaking in hyperbole. Okay, He's speaking in hyperbole. But the point, don't miss the point. The point is, if you are sinning, um, then you need to run from the source of your sin. You, You need to get rid of the source. You need to get to the root issue. Of what is causing you to sin, and that's such an important thing that he points to um, is like you need to be aware of what's causing you to sin, be- because you need to understand that sexual desire it's like a fire. Sexual desire it's like a fire. Like, you know, you, maybe some of you have a a uh, fire ring, you know, a fire pit in your backyard, and y'all like a fire inside of the fire pit is great. It's enjoyable. It's nice. But a fire that has no confines, what does it do? It destroys everything in its path. A fire in the fireplace is great, but a fire that gets out of the fireplace is going to make the whole house a fire. And and sexual desire is like a fire. Like you've got to make sure that there are confines. And that is what Jesus' point is. He's not saying all sex is bad. That's not what he's saying. But if it causes you to sin. Th- so the question, like, for all of us, like, it, this necessitates us to notice. What is causing me to sin? What's causing me to sin? He says, hey, if your, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. You go to the eye doctor and be like, hey, just take this out. It's hyperbole, okay? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? Because it's that serious. It's not good for you. It's going to lead you to a place of destruction. Spiritually speaking, relationally speaking, mentally speaking, emotionally speaking, and even physically speaking, it can lead to disaster. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, whatever you gotta do, you gotta identify what is actually causing me to sin. Here's what I would say. Sexual sin is usually not the root issue. There's always something underneath that. Just like we looked at last week, the, the iceberg of murder. Um, you guys were so amazed with all my artistic skills, I just couldn't handle it. You know, there was so much pressure to, to make something better this week, I couldn't do it. Okay, so but there's something underneath that. If you are um, engaging in lustful um, uh, practices, then then you're it's probably because there's something else going on in your life that you're not dealing with. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're running yourself ragged. Maybe if you're married, maybe it's because you you all have not dealt with the actual issues that y'all are experiencing between each other. And, and you're just going somewhere else to get some relief from the stresses that are present in your relationship. Could be because you are just you, you've got too much on your plate, you're trying to do too much, and you're trying to just cope in some way. Because for those of us who grew up in the age of the internet, um, that was an easy coping mechanism. It was always there. Like you got stuff, stresses in life, how am I going to deal with it? Well, I didn't learn how to deal with it, so I just pursue other things to distract me from it. It's like, what is causing you to sin? Deal with that. Like, yes, you need to deal with, uh, if, if you're going to pornography, deal with that. If you find yourself constantly flirting with, with someone outside of your spouse, then you need to deal with that. What's going on That is that is driving you toward that? Jesus is saying it's serious stuff and you need to deal with it. So what Jesus has done here is at least three things. Number one, he's deepened our understanding of the depths of our sin. He's deepened our understanding. Because it's not just that, oh, I kissed someone I shouldn't have kissed. Or I slept with someone I shouldn't have slept with. He's deepened our understanding of sin to where we understand that that starts in the heart. It's not just the physical act. He's given us a glimpse of what is at stake when it comes to sin. He like, he uses the word Gehenna, not the word Hades. Sometimes the word Hades, the Greek word Hades, is trans- translated as hell when it should be translated death. Um, but, but Gehenna, this is that place of constant torment and punishment. That's what we call hell. And that's the word he uses. And so, like, he's saying, hey, you don't want to pay for this sin on your own because it's going to lead to destruction. That's where this path is going. And obviously, for those of us who know the story of the gospel is that Jesus took on all of those sins on the cross so that we could now live as people who are now no longer being condemned by our sins, but we can walk in freedom and forgiveness. So that's true, and we'll talk more about that here soon. But let's not just gloss over this point to get to that point, because we need to actually sit in the reality of our sin. But he's done this also. He calls us to repent and and pursue a new path. He says that you have died to sin is what Paul says. Uh, He says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Honor God with your body. That's what the scriptures say. It's not just like, oh, I follow Jesus for the spiritual side. Like, the gospel is that not only do you get um, forgiven of your sins so that you can go to heaven and be with God when you die, but it's far more than that because he has transformed your life and that is what he's desiring to do so that you would be a brand new person. Now, not just someday when, but that you would become more like Jesus, honoring him in every area of your life, even this one, even in your sexual life, to honor him. And this is what Jesus does. He helps us see the sexual distortions of our day because he gives us a different path. He, just, like he, just like he helped them see the sexual distortions of their day, he helps us see ours. Ours, uh, we've talked about this. If, if you're like, hey, I need more content on this subject uh, from the Bible than we did three weeks on this subject in the Triggered series. If you go to our website, you can find those. Um, but in that, I, I identified and proposed to us five, at least five, sexual distortions of our day. And this is what Jesus exposed to us. Casual sex, pornography, sex abuse, adultery, and homosexuality. Jesus is exposing all of those distortions of our day. And and the thing is, like, it's sad because we've, as human beings, have taken what God meant for good and we've twisted it and made it into something that's harmful for us. Because here's the thing. The Bible's vision for sex is good and better than what the world offers. And I hope you believe that too. That what, the, what the scriptures point us to is this beautiful commitment that you commit to another person. A husband and a wife come together and are committed to each other in marriage and it's within that safe commitment relationship that then two people come together to become one. That is a spiritual thing. That is a relational thing. But it's also, and this is like maybe not been preached on enough in Genesis chapter 1, where it says that Adam and Eve came together and they were one. That is also a sexual thing. A coming together of knowing each other. Of a knowing. And, and what the scriptures point us to is this idea of intimacy. That you can know this person on a deeper level than anyone else gets to know. That you get to, you get to explore and, and have fun and enjoy each other in this way within the fire pit of marriage, within the confines of marriage to keep it good and beneficial for each other. Where, where each spouse commits to communicate openly, to embrace vulnerability and to practice mutual self-giving that leads to mutual satisfaction. That if you're married, the beautiful vision that God has for you is for you and your spouse to enjoy each other physically, to enjoy each other spiritually, to enjoy each other relationally. And that is far better than anything this world has to offer. When you realize that you are doing something that pleases God. Y'all, this is so crazy, right? Have you ever thought about this? That sex was God's idea? He invented it. It was like him, like he was the one who came up with it. None of us did. That's just crazy, right? It's kind of like, that's a weird idea. God? None of y'all see that as weird. Okay, all right. <laughs> I thought it was. So, so here's the thing. Here's what God wants us to see. This is what Jesus is getting at. Sexual sin is a distortion of what God meant to be good and beautiful. Let's keep this up here because I want to really break this down. Sexual sin is a distortion of what God meant to be good and beautiful. So sex was meant to be good and beautiful. Too often times in the church, all we hear is, hey, if you're married, do it. If you're not married, don't do it. And that's that's all we're going to say, right? But but this is, this is the truth that, that God meant for this to be good and beautiful. But what we've done is we've distorted it. And sexual sin is a distortion of what God meant to be beautiful. All sin is a distortion. But here's the thing. So, like, I I don't want you to only hear that. What I also want you to hear, and what you need to hear, something I've already alluded to, and that is this. Jesus' grace is for sexual sinners. Everyone everywhere has the opportunity to receive grace upon grace from the God who bestows it upon you, who knows all of your sexual past, who knows all of your sexual baggage, who knows all of your sexual struggles. He is the one who went to the cross knowing all of that was even included, that y'all, you and I were all messy people with histories and track records that, that would make us blush if people knew about them, that, that he went to the cross to pay for even those things on the cross. So now there is no longer those, we are no, no, no longer no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's, that's a reason to say amen. Because if you have had a sexual past that has not been honoring to God, then this is, that's good news. That Jesus saw, uh, saw you and loved you enough to even pay for those sins. Even the icky ones. He loves you so very much and so if you come to this conversation with a lot of history, with a lot of baggage, with a lot of sin in your rearview mirror or in your present, then understand that Jesus' grace is even for you. He not only wants to forgive you, but to change everything about you, including this area of your life, to where marriages can be healed that were that were hindered by lust. Or adultery. That that marriages can be uh, experiencing a good and beautiful sexual experience together. That single people can honor God with their bodies. That that people who are dating can can recognize the, the, the good guardrails that are set in place by the Lord to keep you on track. And to set you up to where you can honor God first and foremost in your relationship and then your spouse, if you end up marrying that person, your spouse comes second, which is the good design of marriage. Honey, you're second in place. That, that should be the prioritization in your marriage. So the question that I want to propose to all of us is not just all this, but the, just a question. That, that hopefully God can just encourage you to put this in your pocket for those moments when temptation is raging for moments when you're, you're feeling frustrated, whatever it is. Here's the question. What would a person who honors God sexually do? What would a person who honors God sexually do? Someone who's married, what would, what would they do to honor God sexually? The thing is, like, within a marriage, God has given a lot of freedom to explore and to have fun. What would a person who honors God sexually do if they're single? What does that mean? Search the scriptures. Ask the Lord. But He points you to holiness. He points you to the fact that, that sex is designed for the life uniting covenant of marriage because that's the safest place for it. What would a person who honors God sexually do if they're dating? What would that look like? What does that mean? What would a person who honors God sexually do if they're a parent? Parents, please don't let the first time your kids interact with the idea of sex be on a screen from their friend's phone. Please have the conversations. It's going to be uncomfortable. They're not going to like it. You're not going to like it. No one's going to like it. But it's necessary. If you, if you need some resources, I've got some books that we've used for our kids. It's kind of stage by stage. As, as they get older, you, you start talking about more things. A great resource. But don't, don't let the, the first interaction they have be what the world has to offer. Because y'all, the world is trying to teach. Teach trying to teach about the subject and they got a lot more content out there than the church does and so we need to make sure that we care for our kids enough to lead them and disciple them in this way so what would a person who honors God sexually do in your situation What what would that look like wrestle with the Lord in that question and then have the courage to follow him in it because sexual sin is a distortion of what God meant to be good and beautiful. So seek his guidance in every area of your life, including this one. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray and sing. King Jesus, thank you for um, having the wisdom to uh, broach this subject. In your sermon on the mountainside to your disciples, and I'm grateful that, Holy Spirit, you am, you inspired Matthew, the former tax collector, the former trader of his country, to write these things down so that we today could receive God's guidance on the subject. God, no matter what kind of baggage those of us in this room and on this uh, stream and people who are watching this later, no matter what kind of baggage we've got, God, I pray that you would show us and remind us that you are more powerful than any of the stuff we've got in our past, in our present, and the things we fear that we'll have in the future. God, help us to, um, to resist temptation, that there's always a temptation, or there's always a way out of temptation. Help us to take that path. Holy Spirit, we need you to convict us because we know that this stuff starts in the heart and we need you to be invading and indwelling our heart to change it. And I, I believe that's why you did that. To indwell us. To transform our inner world so that our outer worlds could be transformed too. Jesus, hear us as we sing. We're so grateful that you paid for our sins on the cross. That, that you've done away with all of that so that we can walk in freedom. God strengthened marriages Strengthen strengthen dating relationships. Strengthen those who are single. God, God, please empower us by the power of your spirit to follow you in every area of life, even this one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.